0: You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com. Or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the Book of Books, Sophie Dollar. Okay, we are ready. I'm so excited about tonight. Woo-hoo! The Book of Acts. Yes. Yeah. John, it, it's just amazing, this Book of Acts. It, is, it gives us a chance you seem to getting. clear up so very many things, huh? I said you sound giddy. I am, I am. I'm, I, I, it's so amazing, that the book of Acts. It tells us so very much. Welcome, folks. I'm so glad you're out there along with us tonight, and I hope that and you are ready to And people can call in and ask us a question. There we go. We're going to have some questions. I've got a phone number right here, 210-340-9585. 210's the area code, of course, 340-9585. Eight, five. So I hope that we can get a good number of you on the phone tonight. And I, I, here's what I'd like to, you know, to call in about. Of course, you can call in about anything. But I, I, the book of Acts gives us such a remarkable opportunity to answer some very fundamental questions about God, about mankind, about God's plan, and how God's plan is working throughout history, how how it has been uh how it has been transmitted uh, details of God's redemptive plan. Now, God's redemptive plan has never changed from the very beginning. Uh, God, the the objective, the goal, uh, from the book of Genesis even, was the idea that God created the human race so that he could call out of this Race of, of soulish beings, this spiritual, alive beings, free will, and all, all those distinctives that we have because we were created in the image of God. That, that the, the idea of having personality, intellect, emotion, free will, that God is calling out of this race of beings. A people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. From the very beginning, that's the objective. And he lays it out. God lays it out from the very beginning as well. The uh, parameters are set very early. Uh, we find out that that men and women are going to come into that relationship with God um, clearly. through. They're going to believe in God. They're going to desire God's reign. They're going to want God. And want to know God and want to be right with God. Now, right from the beginning, from the book of Genesis, the whole human race began to break down along those lines, that dividing line, that great division. Uh, even Jesus here in, in the, uh, the Gospels as I was reading through some uh, gospels this week, in fact, Jesus talks about how he himself is going to divide uh, brother from brother, uh, father from children. I mean, it's it, it the human race. The fundamental def, division and distinction is those who are for God, with God, desiring God, uh, and and only God knows the hearts of of, of every individual the heart of every person, but there are those who want God, desire God, long for God, and, and are willing to trust in God in, in, for his mercy and for his forgiveness. And that's the idea. Now, the, the details of that redemptive plan were rolled out uh, progressively. The plan was there from the very beginning, and, and, and the means by which we access that relationship with God was always faith, always trust, always longing, desiring God, uh, different content, uh, different cultures, different times, different language, different understanding, Different, co- but that fundamental heart content was there from the beginning. As God's redemptive plan is rolled out throughout history, more and more details, more and more light, more and more confirmation. And that, that rolling out of God's redemptive plan seems to be uh, in, in, to some degree related to the expansion and the, the potential of human beings to hear the good news, the message. So uh, we're going to look at that more in depth tonight. The book of Acts gives us a good chance the coming of the Messiah was a pivotal event predicted way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, the first verbal prediction of Messiah, a, a man of faith, a perfect man uh, of the human race, not a female, not an extraterrestrial, not an angel, not an animal, but a man of the human race would come and would destroy the work of Satan in that Satan caused the fall, brought help bring about the fall of mankind into sin. Uh, and, and so now... Th- this Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior that we hear about all through the Old Testament is going to come, and He's going to uh, crush the head of Satan, even as He Himself is wounded. Uh, we are told in the heel there in the Book of Genesis, chapter three. So, as we go through the Book of Acts now, I want to. I, I, even I, I mentioned this last week. There are a couple of things that I wanted to mention in depth and a little bit more. Clarity, But I want you to know that uh, if there's anything about this fascinating book of when when the redemptive plan finally took its final shape and its final expression uh, in the Messiah, in the Redeemer. Do you remember the opening verses of the book of the Hebrews? Let me go back to it just real quickly and read those opening verses and, and listen to what. The, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, um, oh, let me get it back over here. One more page turned over. And he says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, ever since Jesus came, every, we are living in the final days, the end times. 2,000 years now of, of the end times. And now, in these final days, it says, He has spoken to us through His Son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command, When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than their names. Now, the rest of the book of Hebrews goes on to talk about the preeminence, the superiority of the Messiah, to every other being, to every other institution, to the temple, to the priesthood, to, um, to the angels. Uh, he is superior. So this is the idea that just as sin entered the world in a very specific, concrete way, in time and in space, so the redemptive plan, although it was predicted and it could be trusted in early, all through the Hebrew Scriptures, the redemptive plan itself, uh, that redeemer, that savior, had to also take place in time and in space in history. It, it just as it, the fall of man was was real, really happened in real time and space, and real time. The the, the redemptive plan also had to come to fruition in a given moment, a, a given time, and that's what we read about in the gospels, and in particularly, we look in the book of Acts. This time of transition. From the time of looking forward to the Messiah to the time now of seeing the Messiah and looking back upon, upon his completed, finished work. There is, we are so blessed, my friends. We are so blessed and so privileged to live in this time, in this era, when the light, the full, we, we bask in the full bright light of the uh, of the gospel, of the redemptive plan of God, of the Messiah. And Galatians chapter four, verse four says, in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, like I said, a male, a a human being born under the law, as we know, predicted predictably and and, uh, prophetically uh, as coming out of the, the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, this people group, um, we know as Israel, which was, of course, the name of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and they are the children of Israel. It's not really a nation in a sense of a of an ethnic group. It's not an ethnicity. Uh, it's just the people that God chose, not because of their goodness and their greatness, but because of his grace. He chose to work and carry out, use them in a strategic way to carry out this redemptive plan. And we talk about this covenant Uh, That God made with Israel. Of course, on one hand, it was an earthly covenant that God would keep them and guard them and preserve them if they would obey His laws and represent Him to the world around them—to Egypt, to to Assyria, to Nineveh, to Damascus, uh, the um, the Arameans, to the Babylonians, to the Persians, uh, to the Uh, Romans—all that that little piece of real estate so strategically placed there centuries before. Uh, God calling uh, Moses, uh I'm sorry, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and calling him to go to this land that He was going to give to him, this strategic little piece of real estate that God chose there in the middle of the expanding, growing human race, and they guarded the truth. They were the guardians of the the truth about the true and living God, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, monotheistic little island in the midst of a polytheistic, idol- idolatrous, wicked world and culture around them, societies. They held down the fort. They didn't always do it perfectly or well, and they failed in many, many ways. But God said, if you'll do th- the measure that you'll do that and guard my name and represent me, I will bless you and keep you and that's the earthly aspect of that covenant now there was a spiritual aspect of that covenant that the the spiritual the people of God that would come as a result of that message and as a result of that that news that good news that was guarded and kept that too was Israel, and there's an eternal part of the covenant that is kept through the the Messiah himself, who was also promised to come through that Jewish Nation and lineage, so it's it all comes to fruition. It all comes now to to clarity in the time of Jesus and in these years, the last half of the first century, when uh, this converted Jewish rabbi named Saul, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, is converted miraculously, powerfully, and God uses him and the the apostles, but he, he uses them to take this message, the bright, white, hot, light uh, word of God in the gospel, the message, the redemptive message of God, to a hungry, thirsty, dark, wicked world, and it just spread like wildfire all across the Roman Empire. That's the time we look at in the book of Romans, and it's so fun to watch it and read about it and see it. Uh, and and uh, I, I feel like in my own life of... I've been able to live to a great extent that a little, you know, little Apache Indian boy uh, born out of wedlock, passed around to 16 families before I was six years old, put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys meeting the Lord at age eight. At age eight, coming to know Christ in a powerful way and memorizing his scriptures and his word and growing up in the word with homeless and, and delinquent boys in, in a boy's home and a boy's ranch uh, and then going on to college, uh, get a degree in mathematics and so on and so on. Meet my lovely special woman, uh, Suzanne, that God called us together to take this message. And we dreamed we were just two little kids from West Texas. Little old Amarillo, and God has opened up the world for 50 years now. We've been able to take this message to countries all over planet Earth: Mongolia, China, India, uh, Kazakhstan, Siberia, Russia, Moscow. Uh, oh, just I could just go on naming Ukraine, a uh, nation after nation after nation that God has opened doors and allowed us to go and proclaim that simple but powerful message of God's love, of God's character, of man's sin, but of God's redemptive plan and his saving mercy, and and thousands and thousands. I think it just makes me more and more excited to look back and see how it started back in the time in that first century. And we are living now 2,000 years later, and the, the gospel is spread. Did you know that there's not an unreached people group left in the world now? Just even twenty to thirty years ago, there was a great deal made about the twenty, the twenty forty uh, window. Uh, there were so many people groups who had not even had a Christian witness, but the uh, evangelical, the Christian ministries and missionaries uh, began to coordinate with each other and and work together. And, and today uh, we have heard in the last two or three years, maybe the last five years, even the report from our uh, campus Crusade for Christ, uh, the Southern Baptist Mission Group, some of the most powerful mission groups around the, the, uh, the world have been reporting and, and working and in, in, in together to, bring, to help reach every people group on planet Earth. And uh, it was announced to us uh, just probably five years ago or more, five or six, that there's not considered now any more unreached people groups. Uh, Every group has a, a witness. The the the. Goal, the objective, the working objective of Campus Crusade has even changed from helping to fulfill the Great Commission in the sense of of exposing people to the gospel, but now we have the the goal of creating a situation which every human being on planet Earth knows somebody in their circle, in their culture, in their neighborhood, in their city, in their culture and society, in their language, every human being knows someone who truly knows God and is following Jesus, the Messiah. So that—that's the phase we're in now, and the the gospel is spreading, and uh, you know it. Uh, it's so thrilling it's so thrilling i'd love to hear any of your thoughts tonight about the book of acts about the time of the harvest this last 2000 years the end times the the harvest that's what's on god's mind and that's what one of the great lessons we get from the book of acts now there are a lot of things i could talk about and a lot of names i could mention and as we did last week, I threw out some names, and we had some callers just call in to talk about this one and that one, another person, another person. So this week, our reading schedule came from Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter seventeen through chapter twenty-eight. We finished the book of Acts this past week, and on Friday, uh, just two days ago, we started went back to the Hebrew scrip- Scriptures and picked up on that very very special historical. Uh, the, those historic books, the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. They are books of history, just like 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. But the books of Chronicles, they were at one time one book, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. But these, this is a very selected history that was prepared by Ezra so that the people who returned from the Babylonian exile— uh, so that he could use this selected history to remind them of who they are, remind them of their legacy, their heritage, that they are the people of the of the living God uh, yahweh himself jehovah that uh, and to remind them of their their past and their history, and so it 's a selected history that Ezra has has for us and mainly follows the king's of of Judah in the south, the the more the more righteous, the more the long lasting uh, uh, tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south, and the of course the the royal lineage of David, and uh, leading on right up to the Messiah. So we'll get back to the Book of First Chronicles and Second Chronicles in the coming weeks, but tonight let's focus for these uh, for these minutes now on. The, the book of Acts and the time, because this lays the uh, framework for the times in which you and I are living. We are now living in the book of Acts ourselves. You know, if the, if the chapters of Acts went beyond chapter 28 to chapter 28, chapter 2000, we would be in it. We're in that time of the end times. We are in the book of Acts. We are now, it is our turn to make a difference, it is our turn to work the harvest to bring millions and millions of men and women from around the planet earth to to faith and to the knowledge of the true and living God. What a joy, what a delight, what a thrill, what a privilege uh, and, and what an exciting thing it is to be a part of the harvest that God is calling out of people for himself so let me let me name some names as we get started. Um, Uh, I'm going to go back and pick up from kind of from the very beginning, not the very beginning of the book of Acts, but I want to mention some people to you. And let me grab a pen here and I'll uh, and I want to mention some names and and give you get you to call in. I want some of you to call in and talk to me a little bit about Stephen. Okay, I I want you to know uh, I want you to tell me who was Stephen. He was one of the first. I'll tell you a little hint. He was one of the first deacons in the Jerusalem Church. The, the deacons, the whole, the whole. Um, what am I? Can I say the whole role of a deacon, which actually just means the word a servant? Uh, we we see it come to into play in the book of Acts, chapter seven. So, who was Stephen? What is he most? known for? All right? If you have the answer to that question, give me a call, 210-340-9585. Who was Stephen? Um, let me see here. Let, let me ask you about one other little adventure that's told about in uh, Acts chapter 8. We read about Philip. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he's not widely known uh, you know Peter James and John they're the ones that most spoken of um but Philip is spoken of here in the book of Acts chapter 8 and he has a very special role and and I want you to tell me who did Philip witness to uh on the road to Gaza and I want you to give me some of the details uh this person was very important person in, in a lot of ways. Not and I'm not talking about it in an earthly way. I'm talking about uh, from the point of view of God and the harvest. Philip was led to to talk to someone and give a witness to the Messiah to them. And I want you to tell me who it was. All right, and tell me tell me what you know. This this person was um, reading a book, and uh, uh, Philip. Uh, tell me what was the book he was reading. It was a book of the Scriptures, and you can tell me what book he was reading. And tell me the story of Philip. Would you do that? If you can do that, give me a call, 210-340-9585. So I want to know about Stephen. I want to want to know about Philip. Um, we talked last week about Ananias. We talked last week about Barnabas. These are two believers that were called to... to, to uh, baptized this new believer Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, and that to bring Bar- uh, to bring G- uh, Saul or Paul now into the fellowship of the believers. He was mistrusted. He was suspected. Uh, his faith was was doubted, and it was Barnabas. It took Barnabas to bring him in. He he lent to Paul his credibility. He put, he put his name on the line and uh, and helped bring Paul into the fellowship of believers, which released him for 20 to 25 years to carry out great, great mission journeys. And uh, remember when, when Paul came to faith, Jesus said, for there are great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And there's no doubt about it. Saul paid the price, but he has this incredible joy and privilege to have been to have served and God used him in, a, in uh, just an amazing way in that first century uh, uh, to expand the gospel, take the gospel to the then-known world. Now, I want you to tell me, someone tell me a little bit about Cornelius as well. We talked about him last week, but we didn't get to him to the depth that we probably could. So, someone call and tell me about Cornelius. You'll find out about him in chapter uh, in chapter ten. I've always thought, I've always wondered if Cornelius wasn't that Roman officer that Jesus met. Remember when he said, "I haven't found such faith in all of Israel." Remember that Roman officer that said, you know, come and heal my servant? And Jesus started to go with him. He said, no, you don't even have to come with me. I, I'm a man, I'm in the military. I'm a man who gives orders and knows about orders. I know that all you have to do is say the word and he'll be healed. You don't need to even come to my house. Boy, and Jesus said, wow, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. That I wonder if that was somehow in my mind. I just kind of always wondered. I don't think there's any biblical Support for the idea; it, it never says exactly, but they are two men who are described in some way, in some ways, uh, um, in some ways, the same. Uh, the description of their their desire for God and their their respect for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. And so, on. I, I just wonder. So, tell me about tell me about Stephen. Tell me about Philip. What he did. Tell me about Cornelius and why he was important. Um we better go ahead and get you to tell me about James. Tell me about James and in, in Acts chapter 12, that's also a very important important person in this transition period. His name is James and he is uh, he has a very important role in the early church. Tell me all you know about James. he wrote he wrote the book of James. <laughs> In the New Testament, yeah, at the very end, we have those small epistles, so you can tell me about James. Give me a call if you can get it started tonight and give me some information about those four people, Stephen, Philip, Cornelius, and James. I'd like to hear from you, and uh, then when we come back, though, I'm going to expand a little bit on the thought of why did Jesus come when he did, in that particular time and era, and then I also want to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key Dr. to understanding the book of Acts. So we'll we'll get to it when we come back. Don't go away. Of the dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. John, good choice there. Me too, me too. He talked about a doctor, talked about uh, that interesting one was a doctor. Which one was a doctor? Which one of his disciples was a doctor? Oh, gosh. The writer of the book of Acts that we're in right now, Dr. Luke, right? The, he was the only non Jewish author oh, of uh, books in the New Testament. It, 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 unless it all ties in. We don't exactly know who uh, wrote the book of Hebrews, and some people think maybe Apollos. Who is another person that maybe, folks, if you know the name of Apollos, I'd like for someone to give me a call and tell me who is Apollos. He's a remarkable individual. Um, he, of course, bears the name of a Greek god, <laughs> uh he is uh, non non-jewish non-hebrew but he also turns out to be a very uh interesting individual in this book of acts and uh, so I'm giving out some names today tonight I want you if you can give me a call 210 three four zero 9585 tell me what you know about uh let me let me get down the list again here real quick Uh Make sure I get them all that I had mentioned before. Uh, where's my Where's my list? I put, put their names in red here. Tell me what you know about. Um, I'll just start mentioning names here because uh, okay, we're going to talk about Stephen. We're going to talk about um, Philip. I want you to tell me about Philip. What you know about him? Uh, there's also a guy named Simon the sorcerer. he's kind of a bad guy so I didn't put him in the list but an interesting individual. We've already talked about Gamaliel Gamaliel so if someone uh, we might want to someone might want to remind me but I want you to tell me who was Stephen what is Stephen best known for? who was Philip? what was Philip most known for? what did he accomplish? Uh, who is Cornelius? Tell me what you know about Cornelius. Tell me what you know about James. Who was James? What set James apart from others? Why was he interesting and why was he important in the book of in the book of Acts? Particularly, I would say, in there was a very important decision made in Jerusalem. Uh, a very important decision. The first uh, church council, as you might say, was held. And they made a decision about the role and the relationship of, of, of Gentile people. So many hundreds, hundreds, thousands of, of Gentiles, non-Jewish people were being swept into God's kingdom, coming by faith in, in Yeshua. They were coming into uh, the, the knowledge of the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the the Jewish believers had to make a decision, well, what what? do these men and women have to do, these Gentile people, uh, to what degree do they have to become Jewish uh, in the religious, uh, in terms of religious uh, ritual and re- religious procedures? Uh, and so there was a very important council that could have split, that could have done a whole lot more damage. Now, it, it already has done some damage, and we see that split even to this day in some level, at some measure. Now there are thousands and even millions of Jewish men and women uh, who have embraced Yeshua over the centuries through these two thousand years. So it's not like all Jews everywhere don't believe in, in Jesus. That's but there there is a there is a significant uh, number of, of people who are Jewish who um, claim to uh, worship the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they are holding back. They've held back from acknowledging the Messiah, uh, the himself, that, that promised Redeemer, Savior. Uh, for some reason, we saw it even in the time of Jesus and his ministry and life. We saw it in, here in the early first century. Paul has to deal with it. The early believers had to deal with the schism somehow. And, and Paul addresses it. In uh, his book in the, up to the Romans, Romans chapters 9 and 10, Paul addresses that in some way. Maybe we, we can address that a little bit even tonight, uh, just a little bit. But anyway, who, who was James? James had a special role in that. And then I want you to tell me, folks, who was uh, Timothy, maybe even John Mark. I wouldn't mind you giving me – John Mark is a very interesting individual in this, uh, in this book of Acts. He he occupies a, an interesting place. He's mentioned a number of times. He has an interesting role, both both negative and positive. Uh, so, uh, and he he has an interesting relationship with the Apostle Paul, the great first century uh, missionary. So, uh, if you want to tell me a little bit about Mark, John Mark, tell me who he was and what he did, and, and I'd love to hear. Any of our listeners tonight, I'm, I'm trying to put your knowledge of the scriptures here uh, out there for you so you can, these are key individuals, they are key per- people in the book of Acts that tell us a lot about uh, the dynamic of, the, the exciting dynamic of the book of Acts when the kingdom of God exploded out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, into all the nation's resulting in all the nations of the world. You know, all those prayers that King David lifted up in the Psalms, you can almost listen up to, open up to any book of the Psalms, and it says, it talks about, Lord, uh, to all the nations, let all the nations worship you, let all the... Uh, the languages of the world all the peoples of the world rejoice and worship you and know you that was always throughout all the all of the uh, Hebrew and Greek scriptures the old and new testaments the the objective was always the whole world it was never just one little people group one little uh, God deals with people groups and individuals from different people groups, but it was never all about It was always his objective to reach the whole world that's why the the little verse john three sixteen is so powerful. God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe and trust in him could come into a confident, secure relationship with God and experience his salvation. So that's the book of Acts. Now, let's get down to my questions. If I, I'm eager to get a phone call. We're both, John and I, just sitting here looking at that phone and waiting for a number to dial to light up, 210-340-9585, if you can tell me about any of these individuals. Or maybe you just have a thought yourself about the book of Acts, about the times in which we're living. How, how do we understand this coronavirus in the light of the principles of, that we learn in the book of Acts, what is going on? Is this all an accident? Is it just something that, oh, no, it's happening, God's up in heaven, just sort of wringing his hands and going, oh, what am I going to do now? Oh, how do these things fit into? What is the, the spiritual priority? What What is God up to? What's on his mind? If you want to pray according to God's priorities and God's plan and God's, what God is doing, we need to catch the mindset of God and we find that mindset right here in the book of Acts. So maybe you can talk to anything you want to about uh the book of Acts. Maybe you've been recently or even sometime back on a mission journey yourself into Kazakhstan or over into Mongolia or down into Honduras or over into Panama or Guatemala or over into Ukraine or Spain or your, you know, Italy or all of these countries, I, I think of these and I see people's faces and people that I'm that I've met and know in those places. People children of God, fellow servants of the Lord in those countries and those cultures all around. The world. Uh, Maybe you just returned from a trip or an exciting adventure and want us to tell us, add your little story to the book of Acts uh, here, the end time stories here. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. 210 340 9585. Okay, first question I want to address tonight is Galatians chapter 4. I quoted the verse to you just a while ago. It says, Paul is writing to the Galatians. Uh, which is called kind of the book of Romans light. Paul gives a a fairly complete presentation there of the redemptive plan of God, not as complete as the book of Romans, uh, but in the book of Galatians. He says, in the fullness of time, he's going through the history of the world, he says, and in the history of the world, in the fullness of time, when it was just right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so the Messiah he's talking about came in that moment and why it was so important why was what made it the fullness of time well one of our callers last week sort of alluded to it but I wanted to give it out in more specific words to you there were four things at least four now there could be other reasons as well and I think I've I've kind of thought of a couple of two or three more uh through through the years but uh classically w- when we think of why did Jesus come why was that such a special moment for the messiah to come into the world and for the message of redemption to become so much more complete so much more compelling and so much uh, uh ready to to be uh to be spread like wildfire, <laughs> I keep using that term uh, a, like a virus okay let 's put it like that the The gospel <laughs> spread like a virus, all a good virus all around the planet earth well what what made that time so special? Well, there are four things that are classically are thought about that that why Jesus came when he did and 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 you can actually imagine them if you just read the book of Acts, you see all of them at work. first, there was what they call. Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The Romans were a militaristic uh, culture and society. They ruled by a force of arms, and they conquered the then-known world. The, the Roman Empire covered the, all of the then-known then known world, and there was a there was relative peace, uh, relative peace and safety. There were um, there were Roman soldiers all everywhere, uh, and we see that in the during the lifetime of Jesus. Uh, we talked about Cornelius. Uh, we talked the others. Uh, uh, the Roman power was exerted and spread all over the world, and there was a there was a relative peace within the context of their their dictatorial control. There was a relative peace and stability, and it's called the the Pax Romana, and that enabled uh, the. That enabled Paul to take the gospel to these different cities and cultures, and several times he was actually rescued um, in his endeavors in spreading the gospel he was rescued he was protected and defended by Roman soldiers, especially when it was told, when it was finally realized that that Paul was indeed uh, a Roman citizen that that surprised some people I, I remember when Paul was in Philippi, in, in chapter sixteen of the book of Acts, he was in Philippi, and they were going to uh, beat them, uh, but then they found out. Paul says, "Is it legal to to beat a Roman citizen?" And the guy said, "Whoa, are you? I didn't know you were a Roman citizen." And and uh, they backed off, and and so we see Paul several times was delivered from harm and rescued by Roman power. The Pax Romana was one of the dynamic, one of the aspects that caused the time to be ripe for the coming of the Messiah and the spreading of the gospel. Secondly, there were uh, another factor to do with the Roman Empire was that the Romans built roads, these Roman roads all over the empire. Now, they all led to Rome, and that's how Paul ultimately arrived in Rome, but the, the Pax Romana defended the the safety to travel on the roads and on the Mediterranean on the ocean as well, and so these Roman roads—they're called iters, I-T-E-R-S—and when I lived a number of years in Europe, Belgium, and Spain, we traveled all across Europe doing ministry. It was part of a music in musical evangelistic team that my wife and I were part of for three years, and we traveled and gave concerts and sang to, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of of uh, European young people and students, college students, and so on. And we would find all across Europe these eaters, uh, I-T-E-R-S. They, these Roman roads have lasted 2,000 years, some of them. The city of Zaragoza, Spain, where we lived, uh, are the last home uh, the, where we lived there for three years in Spain. Uh, Zaragoza uh, means city of Caesar. And uh, there are there's the... Uh, there's the gate, there's the Roman roads, the, the same cobblestone roads that were built 2,000 years ago. You can see them and walk on them there in the city of Caesar in Zaragoza. So the Roman roads were another factor that, that allowed the gospel to spread down those roads and across those seaways to, with the message of the Savior, the message of Jesus the Christ. And that brings us the word Christ brings us to the third factor we have the Pax Romana the Roman roads then there was another factor I just mentioned it that uh, the the common language for the for the first time massively all across the civilized world of that era there was a common language why why was why could Paul Go to whatever city he went to, whether it was Lystra, or Derby, uh, he, whether it was Philippi, uh, whether it, all the different cities that Paul traveled into during his missionary travels. Why is it he could go there and and be understood in all these different cities? It was because before the Roman Empire, there was a Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, and they were exported their language and their culture. Uh, 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 around the world, and so uh, people around the world the 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 great economic language of the times was Greek the Greek language, just kind of like English today when you go to China, when you go to mongolia you 'll find i remember in in my times and travels how eager people were everywhere to learn english and they they would come to our concerts and they would come to talk to us because they were wanting to know english and uh, uh because the, the the commercial language of the world to to some degree to a great degree is the english language well the same thing was true with greek and so uh so we have the greek language the lingua the lingua franca the common language that paul could Speak, and Paul could take and communicate with people the gospel message to people all, everywhere he went across the Roman Empire. So you have the Pax Romana, you have the Roman roads, you have the Lengua Franca. God has put together all of this in His time and His way. He has brought together these these aspects, these realities, to create this perfect moment for the gospel to to take uh, root and to spread around the world. Finally, the number four reason, and this is a very, very interesting one, is the presence, the existence of Jewish synagogues all around uh, these cities, all across the Roman Empire. Wherever Paul went, the first place he went to in, in that city, most cases, sometimes he went to jail first, but uh, the first place he usually went to was the synagogue. Why? These were little potted plants just sitting there waiting for the seed of the gospel to be put in them. Because you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is a is an outworking of the the Hebrew revelation. It's an outworking of the 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 covenant of God in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, Judges, Ruth and Samuel and Kings and uh, it, the, the 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 Messiah is the outworking of we we worship the the same God, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The same we read the same scriptures and revere and uh, and the word the, the laws of God and and uh, we. Uh, we revere and listen to the great prophets of God and the message of God, and we believe in the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Redeemer, Savior that God sent. And so this was all mystery, mysterious to to the Gentile world. They didn't know necessarily about this as it was locked up in Israel. But when in 586, when Babylon was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the people of Israel were scattered throughout the empire, that was the beginning of, they, they. many of them fled for safety and for survival to cities across the empire, and they lived there, and they learned the language, and they learned the cultural cues, but they kept their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many did, and they formed, since there was no temple any longer, they formed synagogues, schools to educate their youth and their, their, their people and to continue to remind their people of their heritage, their legacy of faith, how God had, had worked with them and through them and, and kept them and preserved them. So you have the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the understanding of the Messiah, the Redeemer, just sitting there waiting for the news. And, and and along comes Apostle Paul and James and Philip and, and these other, uh, Peter, and they come and they drop the little seed of the gospel, first and foremost in those synagogues, because there the people were ready to receive it. Uh, not all but there were enough of them ready to receive it and believe it, it with rejoicing and excitement, and then they had the language, they had the culture, they had the ability to go to their neighbors where they had lived for hundreds of years in those societies, in those cultures, and they could go to them and share the message. And so the synagogues, the, the creation and the existence of the synagogue was also a, a great, great um, a, a great help. To the time of the coming of the Messiah, uh, not only the, the the destroying of the temple in five eighty six, but then the temple was destroyed in in A D seventy. This was predicted by Jesus, the Messiah himself, and that they would be spread and scattered. And so, all of the this both of these helped to get the, the people of Israel out across the empire, ready to be used of God to spread the news. Of the messiah those are those are amazing things when you think about it, uh, and of course we 're not these are not new to just the time of the uh, of the Messiah the redeemer they 're very very exciting uh, but they are also uh, God has often done this. God had prepared the way for Moses to go back to Egypt. Uh, God had prepared the way uh, historically, you can look at the dynasty of pharaohs that were there. When Moses came back uh, and to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go so that you can check into the history of all of these different eras. God used even wicked uh, Egypt and idolatrous um, polytheistic Egypt to uh, and they were redeemed and they were blessed to a great extent, but God even used them to help preserve the, the Roman Empire. So many times we see God working in time and in history. To, to work out his perfect will, and we see the enemy of God in his plan, trying to frustrate God's plan, trying to intercept, trying to interrupt. Remember uh, Athaliah, the, the, the only queen of uh, Judah ever had in the south that she almost wiped out the Davidic lineage. But she was, but but little Joash was saved from that tragedy. So many times we see the attempts of the enemy to cut off the the, the uh, messianic lineage, the redemptive plan of God, and interrupt it. But God works through His people, and even oftentimes through those who don't know Him, to carry out His perfect plan of redemption and salvation for humanity. So there you go. That that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. The Book of Acts is a picture of that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, Jesus is, is speaking. He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere Jerusalem, throughout Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that is an outline of the book of Acts. That's what we see took place in these exciting three or four missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul that uh, finally ended over in Rome itself <clears throat> so now i have brought up another factor there that i want to mention in acts chapter 1 verse 8 jesus promised his uh disciples he said you'll receive power when when the holy spirit comes upon you now jesus had been telling his disciples uh he increasingly Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end, toward the end of his ministry, he began to mention to them increasingly the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that He is going to have a decisive role in the post-Messianic world. In other words, once Messian, the Messiah had come and carried out His work, His His redemptive work on our behalf, He who knew no sin became sin for us. The redemptive aspect of that of Jesus carried out on our behalf. Now, he says, the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean the Holy Spirit only came into existence uh, at, at the book of Acts in this time? No, no, by no means. The Spirit of God was alive and active all throughout the Hebrew, Hebrew Scriptures. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God's Spirit was at work. He was, uh, he was uh, in, in, the, in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth became without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the planet on, around planet Earth, and and we see the Spirit of God involved in the the reconstruction the 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 recreation of uh, the world of that time, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So we see Spirit of God is involved in. In in creation, the Spirit of God is involved in all the different aspects throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. He's referred to many times. Uh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not the force be with you. He's not an impersonal influence or a feeling or your conscience. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, three distinct persons. Uh, we have come to know them formulaically. The Messiah himself is the one who delivered the formula to us. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was there, but why did why was the Holy Spirit's coming in the book of Acts so special? Why did it happen, the Holy Spirit coming? Why did it happen when he happened? If you have an answer to that question, you can give me a call if you'd like. I'd love to hear from you. 210 340 9585. We'll talk about why the Holy Spirit came, when He came, and uh, what He is doing today in our lives. Don't go away. We'll be right back for more of The Bible Live. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Trusting in His grace this hour. are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? All right, we are back. That was really nice. I like that, <laughs> Alan Jackson. <laughs> yeah, Alan Jackson. That's right. I can't believe it. I did not know that. But you know, a lot of those country singers, in particular, they have a sure. background of faith. They have Go- gospel roots. You gospel roots. Kind of yeah, yeah. they Coming do. out of the church and everything. It's always good to hear. It. it truly is. Truly is. There's some. There's some people out there who know the Lord, and you they love it. Like some of the country people, a lot of the R and B people, you hear that they got their start like singing in the church choir. Things like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then there's Denzel. And then there's, uh, what's the guy who was in uh, uh, something of the gar- Galaxy? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, what's the uh, actor that played the lead in that? Chris Pratt? Yeah, Chris Pratt. Uh, evidently, he's got faith somehow in his background. Did you hear him at the uh, Oscars? Yeah. We need more God in this world, not less. Right, right. no, uh, no. Uh, I've got you. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. You, know, uh, you were asking me the other day after we heard that that little Richard had died and you uh-huh. were wondering, you know, about his background. And I saw I found a video. It was labeled like his last interview or something. uh uh-huh. But he's talking to a crowd of people in in a in a, you know, a professional setting. Uh-huh. And he's giving his testimony. Wow. I mean, it's really it's really yeah. powerful, yeah. I tell you folks, you, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, God is at work in our times. You know, it's not all bleak and dark and sad and, and terrible. There, there's plenty of that. There's no doubt about it. The the enemies, there are many enemies of the gospel, and and they're at work, and we can see them. But, it, but if we have, if we're looking at life, and if we're looking at our culture and our world through the lens of the Book of Acts, through the lens of what God is doing and who He is and what He's doing. It, and the same dynamic that was put into uh, at motion in the book of Acts, we're living in that same reality. We really are. And uh, I, John, John and I were talking a little bit about that, how most – I've had the awesome privilege, just in my background and my experience in life, that, is, that has kept me in the flow and in the white-hot white – the heat of, and the light of this moment of what God is doing, that's been my whole life experience. But I know lots of laymen and women, and board operators at radio programs, and and construction workers, and and business owners, and who live in that same reality, who are excited. You hear me tonight, and you're going, "Wow, Soapy's got it." That's right. I la- I have that same excitement, uh, uh, and I I am interpreting our times as well through that grid, the grid of who God is and what he's doing carrying out his plan because someday it'll come to an end the time of the gentiles as Paul calls it will be ended and uh, the harvest the last 144,000 will be gathered you know the that that uh that symbolic wholeness of the, the the final person the final soul will be saved in the in the in the, in, the uh, in, in heaven will be filled and the the time will be up and over and i remember no uh Oh, him, uh, what will you do? It's been on my mind this week. What you going to do if you wait too late to get your heart right with God? Do you remember that one? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, It won't be long. I don't know. Somebody have to give me uh, the, the black musician that wrote all of these wonderful songs. But uh, It'll come to me in a little bit. Boy, it, uh, but someday it'll all be over, but we're this is our time this, to make a difference. Now, let's go and talk about this Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about. Um, it, it, all the way back in the book of Genesis and, and so on, uh, we see the Holy Spirit at work. Jesus told us about God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit. There, are th- the, Now, this is a central truth that if you're going to understand the Scriptures, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures or the New Testament, it, you really need to understand this idea, this reality of the triune nature of our God, that God in the very... At the very essence of the Godhead, there is relationship, there is personhood, uh, there there is God, God in himself, God himself is a social being, there are three distinct persons, one God, one true and living God, we're not wrong to think of God as, as the three as one God, but there are three distinct personages, the, the Father, uh, we've come to know them as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, that is how Jesus has relayed them and given us that formula. Now, th- this the the, tri- the Trinity is. Don't try to understand the Trinity scientifically. It's not a miracle of biology. It's not a miracle of chemistry, of physics. Uh, God it's not subject to the laws of chemistry, to physical laws. God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship in truth and spirit. But God is a person. God is has personality. He has three distinct persons in the Godhead, uh, and they are... They are three distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the, the Son. Uh, very clearly, we see that in in the New Testament particularly. Uh, there's The distinction is raised, and Jesus makes it clear that they are three distinct personages, three distinct persons. They're not impersonal forces. Each one of them is always addressed with personal pronouns and with personal Characteristics and attributes, as well as all of them have all the attributes of deity: omniscience, omnipotence, eternal nature, holiness, righteousness, justice. Um, all know, you know, everything. All the attributes of deity are shared by these three uh, three persons of the Godhead. What is the unity? Where does that come into play? It's a it's a relational, it's a social miracle. They live in perfect harmony and oneness. Now we can understand that as human beings because we too are personal beings. We, in fact is that's why we that's why we we're searching for a well, that's why human beings search for company. We search for relationship. We search for friendships and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and people we work with and neighbors. We are relational beings. We are we are created as relational beings to be fulfilled in, ultimately in a relationship with God, but also to be instruments of relationship to all the people of God, to others around us. We are relational beings ourselves. But because of sin, we don't we don't experience perfect relationship harmony oneness peace in all of our uh, in all of the aspects of our relationships we long for that we long for it but we because of sin's uh, effects we don't experience but the godhead we see it worked out perfectly three distinct persons who dwell together in perfect relational harmony harmony and oneness. They are one in their love for each other. They are one in their character. They are one in their intent, their purpose, and they are also one in their action. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit work together in perfect harmony with one another. And, uh, of course, we see that taught. Jesus teaches us clearly. If you read uh, and see what Jesus says, the Father, uh, I, I and the Father are one, uh, we are to, we are bound together in a oneness, perfect harmony, oneness relationship. Um, that is the oneness, the miracle. But it's also a practical thing for us because look at John chapter 17. When we read the Gospel of John, you saw that wonderful chapter. It's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. Jesus prays that we... Not only the disciples of his time, but those who would accept Christ through their witness and their influence. That means you and me, that all of God's people, that we too would be brought into that oneness, harmonious relationship that, that uh, in the Godhead. He said, May bring them into that same love relationship, Father, that you and I have returned, I have enjoyed from eternity past. So that's part of God's plan, is not only to redeem us and bring us individually into that oneness, harmony harmony relationship with God Himself, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but we are being brought into that oneness, harmonious relationship with God and with all the people of God. That's what heaven is going to be all about when we lived in, when we dwelled together in the society of the people of God, with our God, and in harmony and oneness with all of the people of God. what oh, We can only imagine, as, as was made popular in that in that song, we can only imagine how glorious, how wonderful that will be when we dwell in that harmonious relationship. But right now, why did the Holy Spirit come in a different way now, Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals uh, for a particular moment, uh, for a particular battle, for a particular project, for a particular message that He would have them deliver—a prophet or a king. The Holy Spirit would come upon individuals. Uh, There were two; (coughs) the first person that was said to be filled with the Holy Spirit with that same language in the Old Testament was one of the one of the fellows who was uh, he was one of the construction. uh, uh, managers for the building of uh, uh, for the building of the tabernacle uh, those and for the later for the building of the temple we, I think some of the uh, some of them were said to be filled with the Holy Spirit the one who the rebuilding of the tabernacle if I remember correctly was the first one to be said to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be consciously intentionally. Controlled, empowered by God's Spirit. That's that's where we live today, in in the Holy Spirit. But now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals for a given time of service. But then He would also leave and depart from them. That's what happened to King Saul. The Holy He the Holy Spirit came upon him and and enabled him and granting him potential. But then, because of his his faithlessness, his disobedience, the Holy Spirit. Uh, it said, departed from him. And and even King David later prayed, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And, and so the Holy Spirit came upon individuals. But now, Jesus is predicting a time. He said, the Holy Spirit is with you and shall be in you. When, he says, when when I finish my work, the Holy Spirit is going to have a new relationship with God's people. He is going to come to permanently indwell and to permanently escort every believer to glory. He's not going to come upon us and abandon us. He stays with us. He will never abandon us and leave us. The Holy Spirit is our our escort. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The moment you are born again, the moment you come to faith in Christ, uh, the Spirit of God comes to you. and is. It, it, now, I'm not saying he comes to you in a physical ge- geographic sense. When you use prepositions about God, the Spirit, or any of uh, the persons of the Godhead, you can't use prepositions in the same way. In, up, down, over there, came, went. Uh, the Holy Spirit is everywhere present at all times. So he, he's omnipresent. But But we're talking about coming in a new relationship with his people. The Spirit of God has... Uh, come upon you, if you are a child of God, the Spirit of God now is there, escorting you. He is guarding you, protecting you. He is preparing the way for you, your path. He is trying to teach you and gu- guide you into into all uh, truth and righteousness. He he is he is supervising the transformation of your life molding you and shaping you, rubbing off the rough edges to mold you and conform you to the image, the character of Jesus himself, and he is guiding your your destiny, your life path. He is preparing the way, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your job, and God is carrying you through your unique path of life, and he is there to use you as well. To bring glory to himself and to bless your life. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But why did it only start after Jesus had finished his work? It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth. Jesus is the prototype of the new creation. Jesus, in his role of the Messiah, is the uh, he is the Prototype of of the new of of the 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 newborn humanity. He is the firstborn of the twice born. Jesus is 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 the Adam, uh, just as Adam is the head, the first beginning of the human, the biological human race, and that we all have the life of Adam to some degree dr- flowing through our veins. Human, you know, humanly speaking, uh, physiologically, biologically speaking, uh, the life of Adam that flows through us. Jesus is the last Adam. He is the second Adam. He his he is the firstborn of the new creation. In, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have begun new. You have been born again, as Jesus told us in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. You are a new person. Now a lot of people like to take that born-again phrase or that idea of a new creature, new creation, and they like to make that a well, it's just a saying, you know. In other words, we just turned over a leaf. We're the old same old person, but we just changed a little bit. That's not what we're told in scriptures, and is not what the truth of scripture is that you have become a new person. The old man, the old soapy daughter died, passed away. When I was eight years old, I became a new person. Now, I have the same brain. I have the same uh, biological system, uh, hormones, uh, the same understanding, the brain, same potential physically and so on. I I dwell, I indwell the same body, the same soul that uh, that, uh, my spirit. See, I am a spirit. I have a soul and I have a body but i am a spirit and i'm a new i was spiritually dead before i, I met christ but i become spiritually alive a new person in christ and now, uh, the spiritual being, the new is uh, developing a new nature, a new series of thoughts and ideas and understandings and uh, and, uh, and a morality, a new nature is being built within me as i 've walked with the lord and that 's what 's taking place in your life as well and the Holy Spirit is directing that process of your renewal of your transformation that 's what the Holy Spirit is doing it working in your life. And he is using your witness, your influence, uh, and guiding your path in life. And he is going to escort you and me unfailingly, faithfully and unfailingly, to glory. Uh, He will never leave us behind. He is the down payment on our redemption, on our salvation. Uh, What a wonderful thing. Now, that's why the Holy Spirit came after Jesus ascended, because Jesus was... Jesus was the first uh, uh, of the twice born he when Jesus completed his task as a man as the Messiah he had to walk a perfect life of faith and trust and submission and obedience to the father as a man as a man of faith he trusted Jesus walked faithfully consistently constantly under the power of the Holy Spirit. Trusting in the work. He was conceived by the Spirit from the time he was a tiny little fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he ascended to the Father. The Spirit of God was guiding and working and protecting and providing and enabling him, empowering him to live out that perfect life of faith and trust and submission and obedience. Jesus didn't accomplish anything in his life. Look at John chapter 5. Verse 19, and later on, a couple other times in that same chapter, Jesus says, "I can do nothing of myself; only what I see the Father doing." See, so Jesus wasn't acting out of his uh, divine prerogatives and initiatives and authorities uh, and potential as God. He his challenge was to live out a perfect life of faith and trust and submission and obedience to the Father as a man to be the perfect man of faith. He accomplished what Adam was unable to accomplish. He lived a perfect life of faith and obedience to the Father, and then a perfect man of faith, and then he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he purchased with his blood and his his life our redemption, and now all that was true of Jesus now has become true of us. We too now are are indwelt by God's Spirit. From the time of our new birth, the Spirit of God is there. All of the potential of God's Spirit is in you, with you, and around you, my young friend, my older, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Understand that you, we live in a magic moment where God is at work, and the Spirit, you have all the potential. God has a plan and a path for you, right? And it starts right now, today. Would you not, by faith... Trust in and believe in the indwelling presence of God's spirit in your life and bring your will and your heart and your faith into harmony with his presence, with what he is doing in your life. Trust in his direction and his empowering presence. Witness to that friend. Lift up the name of Jesus. Take that step of faith and obedience, knowing that he is there and that that he's at work in you and he's going to make it be so exciting. That brings an excitement, a thrill to life. That's why the book of Acts now should be coming true in our lives every day. We should see the Holy Spirit at work in us, with us, through us, every day. There is no lackadaisical, there's no common, normal every day for God's people. We walk in the power of the Spirit. God is at work in you, with you, and through you uh, in so many ways. Oh, it's so exciting! Uh, John was asking me in the break, is the book of Acts your favorite book? You know, you seem so excited about it, and I kind of hedge my bets a little bit. I'm not quite sure it's my favorite book, but boy, it, it is thrilling to know that we live in that same reality that Paul lived in. When you read the book of Acts and all these adventures and all these exciting moments and these challenges and these victories that he experienced, and even the dangers in the challenge of those times, uh, we live in that, and, and 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 God is at work in our lives as too. Well, we only have a few more minutes. Uh, let me let me take some minutes. No one is called tonight, so I'm going to I'm going to tell about some of these people really quickly. Stephen was the first deacon. Uh, one of the first, uh, I think, it was seven deacons in the J- Jerusalem church. They, in other words, the the, the the apostles needed to be free to prepare messages and sermons and teach the people, and so they needed others that would be able to take care of the widows and the and the orphans and take care of the needy people in the congregation and 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 just be servants. And so they appointed seven deacons, and Stephen was one of them, and he was also a godly, evidently very solid. W- clear understanding of, of God's redemptive plan and he became the first christian martyr. uh, uh it was a it was Saul himself who presided at the per, at the persecution and the the execution stoning to death of Stephen, the first christian martyr in uh acts chapter 7. Interesting detail there. Um uh, Stephen preaches this incredible message. But then it says they stone him to death and he's dying and he looks up and he says, "I see Jesus. I see the Savior. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father." That's the only time Jesus is referred to uh, after His ascension. In all the other places, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and Stephen, the first Christian martyr, uh, <laughs> makes me cry when I think of it. Jesus stood to receive him. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus stood. To receive the first Christian martyr into his presence, what a what a wonderful thing that was! Uh, anyway, it's a little detail of that story of Stephen, and then you have Philip. Philip was one of the uh, the apostles, but he was taken. It says by the the spirit, the spirit of God took him on, onto a road to Gaza, and, and he met an Ethiopian uh, from down in the south of Israel uh, a, a uh, Probably a a black man, as we would say today, different racially. But he met this Ethiopian eunuch who was obviously in Israel, in Jerusalem, worshiping God. He was a convert to to Judaism. And he's reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, about the suffering of, Messiah, the suffering Savior. And he says, I don't understand this. The, the Messiah is supposed to be a conquering king and so on and so on. And he didn't say those words, but he, he's confused about Isaiah 53. And Philip goes up to him and says, what's that you're reading? And he shows him the, the scroll and he says, do you understand? And he said, no, I need someone to help me. And so uh, Philip explained to him how the Messiah had to suffer, was to suffer before reigning as uh, as victorious victorious king. And, and uh, he, then he told him about Yeshua. He told him about the Messiah. The, this man uh, believed and trusted in Christ, and Philip baptized him there on the outskirts of the city. And probably this man went back and was part of the witness that had resulted in the nation, of, the witness of the gospel in the nation of India today. They honor the fact that Philip, was the one who began the People of God, the Church of God in India. Oh, Cornelius, James, Aquila Priscilla, Apollos. All of these people are so special. I hope that you will study them. Next week, we're into the books of First and Second Chronicles. We'll see you then. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live Broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.